So it, it takes me on to my next question, really. Having workflows within automation, is this something that is taking us away from and redirecting our energy? So instead of focusing on design, we're focusing on technology behind that design. Do you think? Do you think kind of um, programming the robot or programming the software to look for certain elements within our door, certain parameters, etc.? Do you think that's redirecting our attention from what we've come out to to do? We've come out to be designers. Instead, we're now programmers as well as designers. How how do you see um, how do you see the importance of of having those workflows and and the distraction that is causing within? you know, architectural or AEC industry? I, I see it as, as critical because you have to be aware of this, all the all the possibilities and all the advantages that you could gain with the automation because if you don't do it, maybe your another one would do it and you will actually be left behind when the train leaves. Because You're talking about competition? It will be a competition between the different companies. Mm-hmm. If I don't automate, mm-hmm. the other one would do because if the technical possibilities is present, somebody's going to use it. Yeah, it better be me. So, <laughs> so you think competition is what's driving automation? Yeah, we all want to be the best. <laughs> we all want to be the best. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Strive to always be at the top. Okay, so. Um, when we're revising our models then um, and we're revising our automated workflows and things like that, is this something that can be reused between, you know, a project to another project or is there a lot of waste happening at the moment in the industry, do you think? So, you know, we might automate tasks for one project, but how do we carry that on and guarantee that we're going to be saving time on the next project and the next project moving forward? Do you think there's there's a bit of a silo or a bit of a gap in the industry with with getting that information across to the next project, uh, I see it a lot of times actually. When I'm I'm wondering if yeah, why don't people actually reuse all that knowledge or reuse those configuration or those settings because like they do it all over again? And I actually see it a lot. So I think that's a point that actually uh, that needs a lot more attention. And some programs also also have been pretty bad at reusing all those settings and stuff like that. But I see it, they are getting better and better from that perspective that you can also you could create templates for both for Revit or when you work in the cloud, you could have templates for when you set up projects, uh, configuration and stuff like that. that the, the programs are getting better there, but they're not perfect. So, Klaus, you know, we talk about automation improving things, but there is this kind of big lag, I think, within the AEC industry at the moment where, for example, we've got different layers of people working on a project. So, uh, you know, an end user might be working on the software, coming up with some automated tasks to make their life a bit easier while they're working on the design. But moving this information from project to another project, there's almost like a silo there's almost like a brick wall in between each project that we don't take those lessons learned yes we might have meetings about lessons learned but the actions following those meetings how do we take on board what we need to know into the next meeting or into the next project what would you say is the best ideal magic wand scenario for that yeah it's a problem because the person that's 
is able to actually to take all this knowledge and bring it forward to the other process. That is, for it, it must be involved in the entire project process of the project, and it's quite costly to have a smart person involved all the time, but we're not contributing to the end product that the the firm is selling. So it's very costly to have that, and the the the, the super users within the project are often or normally they're not the same person starting the project that is actually ending it. That's why I think sometimes the information gets lost. And the one starting project A, maybe, they are already starting project B before the, t- the end team had ended the first project. So they're overlapping all the time and it's going on and on and on. So they don't have the time to actually stop and take all of their knowledge and bring it into, for instance, making a perfect uh, template for this software and another template for that software. Yeah, it's almost like a debt rolling over, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's it's just kind of a domino effect of knowledge not being passed on and it just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger and, and the domino effect just carries on. Um, you, you know, you, you see a lot of this where um, new consultants are then hired to then kind of rectify the mistakes or or kind of, you know, just kind of look at things from a different, fresh perspective of how we can redefine the way that we work within the model that we work. Um, so if we was to kind of look at creative um, creativeness coming out from generative design and moving into um, kind of uh, the the flair of, um, of design where we talk about generic, uh, generative design, do you think, you know, this is the now and we're talking about generative design now and coming up in the future. What do you think is potentially after that, after generative design? What do you think is going to be the next step, the next big milestone we'll have within the industry? I, it's, I can't imagine what's coming after that because in reality, we haven't really seen generic design or like generative design being applied in a brighter scale, a broader scale. But I think that is what we're going to see because it's, yeah, it's like the the AI. Everybody talks about chat GPT and the G yes. in GPT, that's actually stands for generative because oh. as uh, people have experienced that when they ask them to write a poem, it will get you something. But then you have to be more and more specific. You'll say, how many words do you want to have? Uh, it should be like this. So it should be like it's written by a 10-year-old. Or you have to be more and more specific, but then you get the perfect output. And that is actually what we will have with the generative design for building as well. We mm-hmm. start by saying, okay, I want this nice uh, flat layout, for instance, and then you get a suggestion, but you'll have to say, oh, I want more windows. I want a bigger bathroom. And you design that way instead. I will think that will become the normal. You'll think that will become the normal. Yeah. I like it. So in, in terms of uh, generative design, then, is it helping the architect or designer or is it helping the client? It's mainly helping the client, I think, because you will probably get a better product, a better design. Do you think? Yeah. And then it's different of the different uh, aspects or side of the, the building industry, for instance. It's for the architectural side, maybe the architects will say, okay, you're going to get activity or less good ideas, maybe. But if you look from uh, the construction part of the business, it's, I think that the, 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 
the possibilities are fantastic. For instance, for today, when you're going to create a construction for a, for a house, for instance, you will have a smart person looking at the house and making a like a guess, a suggestion of what the construction would look like, and they would do dimensioning and doing stocks and beams and stuff like that. And then they would do a calculation to see, okay, will this last? And if it lasts, yeah. it will. the person will probably say, fine, I'm done. <laughs> but if you would do it with a generator time, then the computer would say, okay, I'll just calculate it a thousand times again to see, can I use less material? Could I lose uh, more sustainable material or more economical material? And you would probably yeah. get a better result because the computer <laughs> has the power or it doesn't get uh, tired of doing the same calculation <laughs> over and over again. It will just do it. Yeah, yeah. So automation can help us become more globe friendly, more sustainable in the way that we're acting and designing, um, you know, instead of wasting, you know, um, time and instead of wasting resource, instead of wasting materials, it's a way to kind of test and test and test it again without the humans getting tired of it. I love that point. Um, okay, so I think we've got, um, we've, we've, we've spoken a lot about um, automation and uh, generative design. Let's just kind of go back onto the artistic freedom side of things. When looking into practices and working with practices, is there a limitation, do you think, to artistic freedom nowadays in comparison to what there was in the past? Yeah, I would say uh, artistic freedom, isn't it always uh, under pressure? I would say, hey, if, if you, I've actually looked up now the a definition of artistic freedom that uh, the United Nations have created. That is actually the freedom oh. to imagine, create, and distribute diverse cultural expressions free of governmental censorship, political interference, or the pressures of non-state actors. That's what I say. But those are the pressures that are always there, right? It's always going to be a pressure. There's always going to be people that have an interest in to decide what people should <laughs> do and think and say and uh, yeah. how things should look. And you see it all the day. I see in the daily politics people are discussing or other new houses, if they are nice or if they're ugly, and people will always have different... The repetitiveness of it, but the, the units that come. Uh, it's the same with urban markers. You know, there's, um, for example, in, in Wales, there's, in Cardiff in particular, there's this uh, building that was uh, designed and presented and, and built at the end. Um, but, the you know, it's some people say it looks yeah. ugly. You know, that's the first word that will come to mind. But then other people will say, well, you know, it's an urban marker. You can't miss it. You know where you're going to go as soon as you see that point. Um, but then there's other people that say, well, there was other designs that was so much better that was proposed. Why was it this one that was chosen? Is it because it was cheaper? Or was it, you know, cheaper to go? Did they go for this one because it was more expensive? They thought the quality will be better. You know, it's, it's those kind of conversations that everyone has their own artistic yeah. flair. And um, from a conversation I had um, just yesterday, someone mentioned that, you know, if you if you try to do something, um, you know, within art, whether it's a hand drawn something, whether it's, you know, details or whether it's um, drawing, um, 
yours will always be different to someone else's and someone will always like yours better than theirs or there's always that and and as you say you try to be the best so you try to to do the better version of that drawing or that representation and everyone will have an opinion so that that kind of you know the definition that you've just come up with the politics the, the the pressures that you have on your artistic ability is um is something that we 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 can um kind of relate to in in everyday pressures of, of when we're trying to be innovative i suppose artistic flair is trying to be innovative trying to do something new trying to do you know something that works better um and for, for everyone and for the purpose of that so automation versus artistic freedom we can say that they both can work together but we can say that it's a lot of work to get there um look uh, one of the things about advantages we have with the automation that is also you would have different opinions where it's good or bad because i would say uh, yeah. an advantage of the automation would be of probably increased quality but some people would say that it's less quality because it's not thought through every process it's just uh, repeated processes and that is yeah it's all it depends on what you think because uh, sometimes uh, man-made is really good, or sometimes uh, fabricated or automated is really good. For instance, if I want to yeah. offer you a, a shrimp salad, you would say probably say that a man-made would be nicer than a factory-made. But oh, yes, rather, definitely. Say, okay, here you can try my parachute for a job. I made it myself. I think you would be saying, <laughs> definitely that, thank enough. you, I want the one made in a factory. <laughs> Absolutely. So that, it just, it <laughs> yeah. depends. And that is the, the, the funny things about this stuff. We're talking about both yeah. automation and the artistic freedom. It depends. I love that. I love that. That's a really good way to look at it. You know, um, where we where we want human intervention and where yeah. we want automation can differ for the different tasks yeah. that we have in life. Mm. I like it. On that note, Klaus, I would like to thank you very much for um, for your time on this podcast today. It's been great fun listening to uh, to you talk about automation and artistic flair and getting to know what both of those actually mean uh, within the industry and beyond. It's been a great pleasure. Any final comments from you, Klaus? Thank you so much for bringing me into this. <laughs> It's absolutely my pleasure. So thank you very much, Klaus. Always great to work with you. The only Klaus van Gaard. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. And see you in the next podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.